Welcome to Series 2 of the Damn Good Podcast, your one-stop shop for employee benefits and financial education to the hospitality industry. Brought to you by Davidson Asset Management. I'm Alex Keddy, or AK56, your host and corporate benefits specialist. In each episode, I'm joined by an expert from a different field within hospitality. From restaurants to catering, luxury hotel management to regional operations, we're asking the big questions to help you, our listeners, arm yourself with the knowledge about the three R's, recruitment, retention and reward, and how employee benefits play a part in that. Who knows, we might even have some laughs along the way. Hello and welcome to another Damn Good Podcast episode. Today we're joined by the lovely Holly Glover, HR Director at Farncombe Estates. Welcome, Holly. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me today. So pleased to be here. Great. Thanks for joining us. I'm looking forward to gleaning the insights into the most memorable hill in the world, as per your organisation's <laughs> vision. I love it. How are the Cotswolds today? Oh, uh, it's utterly beautiful. Blue sky, sunshine and countryside as far as the eye can see. What more could you want from your office view? Terrific. Yeah, what a view. What a view. Um, well, to start off, I always ask my guests for a sort of potted history to their sort of background. So our avid, assuming we have such things, uh, our avid listeners learn how you reached where you are today. So perhaps you could give the listeners a, a brief sort of uh, resume of uh, how you ended up where you are today. Of course. Um, I think I've just been really lucky, if I'm honest, Alex. Um, I'm sure everybody <laughs> says that, but everything just seems to have come up at exactly the right time so I, I suppose my inspiration went back to when I was um, a child I was lucky enough to travel I had traveling parents um, and I was bitten by the travel bug so that gave me loads of opportunity to um, you know stay in hotels and things like that not not swanky hotels just common garden hotels but I was very lucky to be able to do that and from a very early age, I thought I either want to be cabin crew so I can travel or I want to work in hospitality and hospitality won out. Um, but it was never really my plan to go into HR. That that was a, a happy accident, um, oh. if you can say such a thing. So um, I love food. I love cooking. I love cooking for other people. Um, I love the gastronomy of learning where food comes from, all those kinds of things love being with people and I love travel. Those are my kind of three values um, in life. So, I, you know, hospitality was just a perfect fit, really, um, for me. And there was never really any other question that I would I would do something else. Um, so I took myself off down to Bournemouth to study hospitality. Um, and I had some amazing opportunities there as well. Um, the college had a really close relationship with... Um, the late Albert Haru, and so I did events with him and we were lucky enough to be able to go to the Gavroche and I suppose that gave me, that was my first kind of luxury insight into hospitality of what, um, the the other end of what I was used to. <laughs> that is um, luxury, yeah, that's terrific. <laughs> exactly, but I also kind of realised how much people in this industry, so it, you know, it's a big industry, but it's also quite small in terms of, you know people and people help each other out. And the fact that somebody like Alberu is willing to work with the college 
and give this student some insight. That really made an impression on me. Um, when I left um, uni, I went to work with um, Harvester, which was part of Forte in those days and was fantastic, brand new brand. It was all shiny and new. Um, that got sold to Bass, um, which was completely different, you know, massive, great big brewing and um, restaurant empire. Yes. Um, but it was a great place to kind of um, learn practically all of the theory that I'd learned at, at university. So um, it was a great opportunity, but I kind of went into a role there thinking, I'll just, I'll just take whatever job comes along and then I'll think about what I want to do. And it was um, a great ops director there that, that helped me out and said, look, you know, talk to me, talk to me about what you, you enjoy doing, what you like. Um, so I painted this picture of my perfect job role for him and he said, well, actually, you know, Bass have just bought 300 pubs off of Allied and we've got to convert all of those into um, Bass brands. So would you like to go on to new opening team? So I snapped his hand off um, and I went on to pre-opening teams and I think I converted 30 of the 300 um, properties that they bought off of Allied. So that kept me busy for three years or so. Um, but when that came to a that came to an end, I thought, well, what do I what do I do next? And I was approached internally within what was, you know, Bassett transitioned to Mitchells and Butlers by this time. I was approached internally and, and said, Well, would you like a permanent role in HR? And that was the first time I'd actually thought about it. Um but I thought, well, do you know what? I've enjoyed training, I've enjoyed the people contact, I'll give it a go. Um and that, as they say, is kind of history. It went, it all went from there. Um, I met Sean Wheeler, who was also working with Restaurant Group, and was lucky enough to get a job with him in Vintage Inns. His name creeps so, up a lot in this uh, in oh, his podcast. <laughs> He's a legend, isn't he? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and 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 the you know, there's a common theme of of people helping people to to yes. get on here. You know, so. Um, so I met with Sean and we worked together for quite a long time. I was with um I was with Mitchells and Butlers for eleven years um in total. Numerous new vintage inns, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um Sean then left to go to Malmaison um and I shortly followed. Um so started my reopening career again, opening new hotels with Malmaison and also it was the time where they had just bought Hotel du Vin. Mm. And they were trying to merge the companies behind the scenes so that the two identities to the guest were, you know, very different and very separate. But there was one common team working behind the scenes in the central team to to support both the hotel groups. So really interesting time to be involved in these companies mm. that there's some really big meaty projects going on behind the scenes. Excellent. Um, mm -hmm. I, was, <laughs> I was with Malware's on for about four years. Um, and then along came an opportunity for me to get my first director's role and a role, my first role in London. Um, and so I took a big step, moved away from working with Sean, um, but not too far um, because there were several people working at CSEs that had also worked at Mitchells and Butler's as well. So that was lovely. It felt like coming home again to work with a team that I already knew. Mm. Um, but 
really exciting to be in London. So very different from anything that I'd done before. Um, and I was with them for um, three years. Um, they needed a HRD because they just done a management buyout. So again, another period of transition in a company. Um, so it's a great time to get involved um, in those in those companies at those stages. Um, and I was just kind of getting my teeth into CSEs. I really, really loved the role. But somebody approached me to come to Farncombe. And I really am denied because I didn't want to leave CSDs because I love the role so much, but recognised the fact that Funkin wasn't going to come up again. Um, and it was a bit of a peach of a peach of a job. So again, I moved. And again, similar scenario, a private estate transitioning from a corporate company headquarters into a leisure estate. Um, so trying to repurpose this estate and make it into a profitable business, but without really knowing how we were how we were going to do that, it was all very at the infancy stages. Um, so, and here I am, nine years later. Can't quite believe where the time's gone. Nine years, wow! Yes, because I can remember meeting you obviously at Searcy's, and uh, it looks as though I mean. Unlike some of my other guests, it looks as though, as I say, hospitality was in your blood, you know, from what you're saying oh. right from the beginning. You know, it's, uh, the other guests sometimes talked about other career changes, but um, from what you've kindly uh, shared, it's, um, it's, it's obviously been through, through and through your, your whole lifestyle. Yeah, I think it's, it comes back to those values around um, people and gastronomy and um, travel. You know, they're so interlinked and they're so in my blood that it, there wasn't really anywhere else for me to go. Yeah, um, yeah. the passion but... shines through, no doubt about that. Well, that's that's terrific, Holly. Um, I, I did notice on the Farncombe website the slogan, uh, Live the Farncombe Life, obviously aimed at your mm -hmm. guests, but I expect it could be a mantra for your valued employees. I motta working in the beautiful countryside of the Cotswolds, I mean, I expect you face similar challenges to other hospitality businesses. But what additional challenges do you experience versus, say, a city-centric establishment? Can you maybe outline some uh, thoughts of some of the challenges you have in a sort of regional um, property compared to perhaps in a, in a city uh, establishment? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it is, it is really quite different. Um, and I think... That was a lovely transition for me to make from London, from Searcy's out to out to Farncombe because it showed me, you know, both sides. I suppose we'd, I'd been in city centre like Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham um, before with the other brands that I'd worked with, but this is this is really quite rural. So to come from London to here was was quite a transition. Um, I suppose the biggest challenge is um, logistics more than anything else in terms of. Um, attracting people to the estate and um, being able to get them to work. Um, when, I don't know whether you're aware, when the estate started, it was the headquarters of G4S mm. security. So it was very, it was very locked down. It was very secure. And even people that lived in the next door village didn't know what happened on the estate. You couldn't get past the barriers at the top of the hill. Um, so there was a big education piece to do really when um, I came on board when we decided that we were going to go for hospitality 
on the estate and transition from from corporate to to hotels mm. the biggest thing was is getting the local community involved and getting them aware of the fact of of what was here um because this was going to be our marketplace for re- recruiting people and so many people came to interviews and said i've lived here all my life i didn't know i didn't know this was here <laughs> um so that doesn't help when you're trying to recruit. But also we are, um, it's, it's, we're now 600 acres we've grown. Uh, we're a mile and a half from the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill. Um, so the logistics, there's no, there's no buses, there's no trains. Um, the, the hill isn't a hill that you would want to walk or cycle on a regular basis unless you were um, super fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually getting people to work is a challenge um they've got to have transport they've got to be able to drive we have got some living accommodation um but you know not we can't accommodate everybody sure um so i would say logistics and transport was the the first challenge and and getting our name out there as to who are we and what what do we do whereas i suppose a lot of businesses by the time they get big enough to go into london and, and have a London premise, they're already quite well known. They might be part of a group. Um, and also people pass, you know, your premises on a day-to-day basis while they go into other other places. And none of that was in, in place here at Falcom. So that was our, our first big gig to get ourselves out there and get known. I get it. So, I mean, it's most of your recruitment uh, and retention of staff from the local sort of community as opposed to, you know, in London, we come across a lot of noise about the, the fact that, uh, I mean, even this week, hospitality, um, I read in the hospitality thing that makes up 7% of the UK workforce and vacancies are 72% higher compared to 42% in the rest of the UK workforce. And London especially experienced, um, from what I understand, a shortage of migrants, you know, obviously since 2016. And they obviously relied on a lot of people coming um, from overseas. But I guess in the Cotswolds, yeah. you're saying predominantly it is the local uh, talent that you're um, having to recruit you don't you don't see many of the migration of people that are probably in London out towards the Cotswolds I guess cost of housing as well is a massive factor out out there Mm, yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah we do really focus on recruiting locally partly because that's our part of our culture we're we're part of this local landscape we're part of this community and we want the local communities and the local people living in the communities to benefit from that you know to have jobs here that are you know good jobs and well-paid jobs um and that they don't have to go further afield um to try and find employment so it was really important that was one of our company values very early on was to work closely with the community and engage with them as much as we possibly could so we do first and foremost recruit locally um there are quite a few people that have come over from europe because of the fruit picking region that we're in and they might and food production um is in this area as well so they might decide not to stay in that industry. So we quite often pick up people, but they're people that have come over from Europe and settled in this area. Um, so part of the local community as well. What we haven't ventured into doing is um, sponsoring visas to bring people directly from overseas to come and work at Farncombe. 
um, we've we've got quite a good reach here and we seem to be holding our own and keeping our head above water, just working with local community and also bringing on the next generation through schools and colleges is, is important to us as well. That's terrific. I mean, I, one of my questions was going to be, you know, I, I'm not too familiar with the, the Cotswolds, but I was going to ask, who are your competitors for talent in that sort of area? But you've answered that. I was, I was thinking more like, you know, retail, other hospitality um, establishments and perhaps farming. So you've answered that by, you know, just the, the, the fact that oh. the, food, the, the fruit pickers were um, such a, uh, and a big area. It's all, it's all of that, Alex. Mm. And also it's quite a, a um, area for tourism as well. So we've got some, you know, Soho Farmhouse, Dalesford, you know, other big companies out here as well that are also recruiting out the same local local area. So there's quite a lot of competition and we tend to find that people in this area want to live and want to work locally. So it might be that they don't go to the fruit picking or the food manufacturing or one of our competitors, but also retail. So we, we've constantly got an eye on, you know, what's happening in the local recruitment market, regardless of what it is, because... They they're all competitors for our for our team and for the best candidates. Absolutely, and and I and I take it that on a sort of positive side of that, because you're recruiting locally, do you find that the you retain them more? You know, as long as you obviously have to look after them, which we'll come on to in in this uh, later discussion. But do you find that uh, the average sort of length of retention of those individuals is longer rather than perhaps in a city where people would maybe just jump ship to another establishment because they're living in that city anyway yeah i think so i mean it's it's difficult to say after um lockdown what the impact has been in london whether people are staying or or not staying um i haven't worked in that sector since lockdown happened but certainly we're noticing that people do stay we have some people who have worked on the estate when it was you know the previous headquarters so they've been here since they're 16 and they're almost approaching uh, retirement. They've been here for 45 years plus. Um, our average our average length of service is um, around four years, which is quite good um, for the hospitality industry. So I think once people um, come to Farncombe, they find out what we're about, they find that we've got similar values to theirs and they like the culture, then actually we get quite a good retention rate um, from there onwards. Excellent, excellent. You actually touched on a, another aspect of what I was going to uh, question you about, actually. I was, I was going to say, what's your experience of the mature workforce? But I realise I better watch what I say there because that could be deemed sexist and ageist. So <laughs> I better change that to sort of say, in terms of recruitment of perhaps, say, the, the 50 plus, I, I know you mentioned there you had some individuals that have worked for 45 plus years. I mean, I was looking through the UK Hospitality Produced a Guide and it was interesting to read such myth busters such as the 50 plus employees are not absent through illness. Only a quarter took time off illness compared to circa 50% of 20 to 30 year olds. The training costs, they said, are lower for 50 plus workers and motivation of older workers is high despite, because many of them are settled in the area, so housing costs are potentially less. So I was just wondering... Um, is that an area that you can see where the mature workforce either grows through your um, training and development plans or or some of them are actually being recruited as you know even at the age of 50 plus uh, absolutely absolutely um yeah we we very much 
I love the words that you use. You use the word mythbuster, and I think that is really, um, really pertinent to this conversation. I quite often go and listen to other presentations in and seminars and things like that, and there seems to be a preconceived idea that the only people that come into hospitality are young people, and therefore we need to focus everything at. Uh, young people and what young people are looking for at the moment. Now we do have our our fair share of young people working at Farncombe, but we also have a broad age range all the way through to the early seventies. So probably six, age of sixteen to to early seventies. Um, our average rate age is about thirty five, and we're picking up exactly those people that you're um, you're describing those people that are settled, they're at a life stage where maybe they've got a family, they've got housing locally. Uh, we can see a direct correlation between um, age and how long people stay with us as well. So you can understand that somebody that is very young in their career and it's their first experience, they may well want to go off and travel the world and try different places. Um but once you've worked in hospitality for a little while and you found somewhere that you like, then we tend to find that people want to settle down and they want consistency um, and they want somewhere that they can they can have a, a long career at. So we very much are targeting those people um, in that life stage that they're, they're settled and they want to find somewhere to work where they can settle for longer. Yeah, and I, and I guess hospitality being a people... Just as you've outlined earlier, a people business, um, the older generation will have those uh, skills in abundance as well. You know, they, they've they've grown up and they they've got those people skills to deal with guests and that and and be flexible. So I guess that's another positive on that front. Does that make it harder to sort of advertise, or do you have a different approach, perhaps, of how you recruit those older generation in in adverts and that? Do you have to target different areas for those sort of uh, job vacancies? Um, we don't tend to. We don't tend to put. Um, any links to age maturity or experience in our in our job adverts, but we do recruit locally, which as you know tends mm-hmm. to be people that have settled and have got homes, and um, so they they naturally can fall into an older age group. But I think here, where there is a small community around you, the ethos is more about don't leave a stone unturned. Um, gone are the days where you can just put an advert out and wait for people, sit back and wait for people to apply for the job. Mm. Got to be so much more proactive and you don't know where you're going to find that one person that is exactly the person that you're looking for. So you've got to look everywhere. Yeah. No, um, and you've got to got to be really open and open-minded and, um, you know, kind of spread, spread the word far and wide. So it's not just about adverts. It could be that we... Um, go into schools and we do careers days but parents might come to those careers days we work with the local job center to get people back into work that maybe already had a career so there's all sorts of different ways we can tap into those markets um, as well as geographically targeting um, a local area and and I guess one of the benefits um, forgetting about the London centric side living in a region Word of mouth is so important. You know, I guess if someone's oh. working there, they would say, come and work for us. So you've got your own sort of um, advertisement with your existing staff, I guess. Absolutely. And and word of mouth is, is massively important 
um, to us. So a lot of our team will come through recommendations from our current team members. They're quite happy to recommend people. But sitting behind that is you've got to treat people well. You've got to give them somewhere that they're proud to work. You've got to give them somewhere that they would then be proud to recommend to somebody else. Um, So actually their work-life balance, the benefits, it's the whole package of how you look after your team that then gets you the good word of mouth that they go to their friends and or people come and stay and go, ah, I've seen what a great place this is. I know, you know, my nephew lives locally. Maybe he could come and work with you. So you never know what um, encounter you're going to have with somebody that will will um, turn, out, turn up somebody that is good to come and work here. Great. Um, moving on, the, the Cater.com reported that UK hospitality salaries rose by an average of 9.5% over the past year compared to a national average of 6.6%. I mean, other than a competitive hourly pay, what benefits or features do you feel make the difference that your valued employees are looking for? Or what, what benefits do you offer that you think your, your, your employees um, value? And I guess it does depend on what stage of life they're going through, different benefits for youngsters compared to perhaps maybe who we were talking about before, the sort of grey-haired sort of uh, um, demographic. I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. If We've got such a different spread of people working on the estate that you need to have a, a whole remit of different benefits and things that might attract people to come and work for you that might suit different people and some flexibility around what they can what they can have. Um, so I think gone are the days of, you know, for long service, buying somebody a cup glass decanter because <laughs> most most 18-year-olds don't want that, but neither do most 35-year-olds nowadays, you know. Um, so we've changed a lot of our benefits since I very first started here to make them much, much more flexible. Um, we do um, rewards for good performance and it's a monetary reward as in we don't give the employee the money but we give them the amount of money that they can choose what they would like and we all will buy it for them our long service awards is on the same principle we offer an amount of money for their length of service and I'm always really surprised by what we see people choosing as their benefit so we've had somebody that needed a new garden gate we've had elect guitars we've had lazy boy chairs we've had holidays you name it we've been asked for all sorts of things and so it's really lovely to see wow we would have been miles off if we gave this person a decanter because what they wanted was an electric guitar you know um so working with people individually and also just offering things out that that they can choose from so um there's an eap if people are having tough times they know yeah. they've got support yeah. but not everybody will use that um you know we've got great pension and mm. benefits and financial advice but again that maybe is for the more mature end of the market maybe the 18 year olds don't use that quite so much or the young people don't use that quite so much they don't see the the need to get on that that bandwagon quickly because they've got their whole life ahead of them. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I do indeed. I know that demographic (laughs) only too well, but uh, it's changing. It's good news as it is changing the whole as well. But yeah, but absolutely. The the instantaneous desire for a benefit compared to one that's 
20, 30, 40 years down the line is 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 a challenge in our industry ourselves in the pensions industry for sure. Um, yeah, so we're seeing that you you you're quite right. The the things that happen quite quickly are the ones that are kind of the most popular. You know, the the discount schemes that we offer yeah. that you know help people with their cost of living straight away rather than something that's going to happen down the road. But I think the whole thing is tied together with um, an element of of education of how it could help them. You know, so educating people as to what difference it would make if they started saving earlier rather than later. They haven't always thought of those things. So um, a broad spectrum of benefits and and some education over over how it might help them, that's, I think, has, has worked for us. That's really encouraging because it, it, I do feel some employers do have an element of responsibility, as do we as advisors, to to help to educate the, the workforce. Well, whilst I understand that just what you've outlined, the, the, the challenges that people have, especially on day-to-day living, they do need to think down the line because, um, you know, I know only too well how quickly potential retirement comes round and how, how quickly, you, how much you have to build that pot of money for that. But, I mean, I, you touched on it earlier as well about the fact that you do offer for some individuals initially, I guess, some staffing accommodation and I guess staff food would be mm-hmm. pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. I noticed also you talked about driving. Do you offer support for driving lessons? I mean, that, I just thought, you know, when you mentioned driving earlier, I guess, do you offer... Um, support for youngsters to get their driving lessons or, or they could they choose well, that we've we what we started is we started a local bus service um at the moment so we never say never to anything so driving lessons may well be the next thing on the on the list <laughs> um but what we started with we started with a um local bus service from local communities to come into work also what that then allows is our live-in team who don't all drive gives them an opportunity to catch the bus out to go to the shops to have some family life, you know, some some um, outside life from from Falcom to go to the pub, those kinds of things. So it works both ways. It literally is bringing people into the estate and actually giving them some respite if they live in as well. Um, so that's been really successful and really popular um, with the team so that they can come in. But we we literally don't say never to anything. If we can find a benefit that people are telling us that we like driving lessons or we'd like something else, absolutely, we have a look at it to see what we could do. Yeah, and how how does that impact? I mean, obviously, it's great to hear that uh, you're open to all these um, thoughts, um, but how do you actually go about, how, what's the best sort of mechanism for communicating these benefits, do you think? How, how do you um, communicate? It seems like you've got such a eclectic option and I guess you're opening as I say leaving it transparent for people perhaps to come approach you and say well I'd like this and you'd be open to that how do you how do you currently sort of communicate how do you find the best routes for um, communicating these benefits well I think whoever said you can never over communicate was bang on the money (laughs) Um, basically (laughs) whatever message you've got you've just got to keep going out because again not everybody's on Facebook not everybody's on TikTok not everybody reads you know emails and things that you um send out so we try and communicate in as many ways as possible and they might get the message more than once but actually that's a really good way of getting the message out there so you know if we start with somebody coming into the business that we send a pack before they start which will have some key information about who we are what we do and you know what benefits they can expect 
We, we go over those when they come to company induction in their first few days. Um, we will have regular town hall meetings with the team where we would get suppliers in. So I know that DAM have come in, but also our, our discount supplier, other suppliers as well have come in to do presentations for us to get the team aware of what's out there for them and how it might help them. We put stuff up on old-fashioned notice boards, if you can believe mm -hmm. it, but yep. people do still look at those. We've got a close Facebook group, so um, our notices go out on there. Um, we email to people's private email addresses, all sorts of um, different routes of communication. So if we're going to say something, we say it about six or seven different times, and that's how it kind of gets out to the gets out to the team. But one thing that I think is important in hospitality is not necessarily technology is great, but this is still a very people business. People like to talk. People like to ask questions and find out more. So anything that you can do face-to-face -face has a real impact. So town hall meetings, inductions, training, staff briefings, all those kind of things, really important. Excellent. I must admit the... Um... The boards, I do see these in the hotel, certainly in London, and I assume UAE as well, where you've got these boards up outside the the sort of staff restaurant or whatever, and the amount then, of people that are looking at it rather than necessarily looking at the phone, it, it's encouraging still to see the old-fashioned style thing that I was brought up in still works in the communication process. Um, moving to the... You've kind of answered this one, I think. Uh, I know I've got a, a question here that I think you've probably answered, Holly, but... Do you survey and how often do you survey your colleagues to see what perks or benefits they would find useful? But I think you basically said you'd, you're open to them coming at any time to ask. But I just wondered if you had sort of formal. You know, dropping sessions in the panel. I see your website promotes joining an award winning team and excellent opportunities for career progression to grow. What you need to do to be able to do your role really, really well. And when you can do your role well, then you can okay. have broad departments like those as well as the ones within the, within the businesses. So, we absolutely support people to move sideways. So we've had people from the kitchens come into work in the maintenance team. And it's it's about attitude more than anything. It's about, you know, they're committed to their role. They work hard. They want to get on and they, they are happy to learn. Um, and they've got a positive outlook on life that they, they want to be in that role. Absolutely. We'll give anybody the opportunity to step or step up and get on. And, and move horizontally as well as vertically. And But I think it's also important to mention those people that don't want to get on. Mm. Some people are happy to come in and do their job. And we need those people as much as we need the ambitious people. You know, one of our cultural... Um, one of our cultural things is um, the family um, have a fond memory of jelly beans um, from their childhood linked with their father who set the estate up. Mm. And so that's been part of our culture and they represent kind of the diversity of the people that work on the estate. You know, jelly beans are all different shapes, sizes, colours, flavours. Put them together and they all get on. And and that's that's how we, we kind of like to use as a simile for our team. You know, we want as many different types of people. We want the ambitious ones and we want the ones that just want to have a career and and, and do their job to the best of their ability as well. So um, it's a great position to be in when you get that balance. 
that's uh, I, that is a really important point to re-emphasise that about the fact that there are individuals that, as you say, just want to come in, do their job, not ambitious. They've got other things, and you know, I, I think that really is because we all focus on people wanting to go up the the career chain, but there are people who are just happy, and as you say, they they are the key foundation blocks to the keystones to to actually the the foundation of the the establishment. And offering, offering, you know, diversity and inclusion, I think, is really important as well. Great. Well, t- just to conclude um, the questioning, uh, Holly, a bit of blue sky thinking. If you were thinking ahead, yep. what do you think will be an important benefit to your employees in, say, five years' time? I mean, I know it's, it's asking you the impossible, but do you think there's one sort of benefit that, say, in five years' time is coming through more as a benefit that you've seen potentially more demand for um i think i don't think it's necessarily any one benefit i think individuality and um the opportunity to choose will continue to grow in its importance that not one size fits all anymore so i think the opportunity to have a, a range of benefits that people can make their own that they can buy into if they want to and, and not if they don't but there's something for everybody there. Um, I think that will be um, really, really important. And I think the the other thing that I see um, that will become massively important is not necessarily a benefit as such, as in you know nothing that we can purchase, but is about the way that we do work. I think if we can turn hospitality into an industry that demonstrates that it looks after people's work-life balance, that they get, you know, their two days off together, that they get their rotors in advance so that they can plan their life. I think well-being and work-life balance is just going to grow and grow and grow going forward. So that's, I think, where the industry needs to look. And I think it's moving that way already. I think there's some really good companies out there doing some really good stuff. I think we just need more and and to change that reputation of what is it like to work in in hospitality it's not all about working 24 hours a day and 7 days a week that it can be a really good career and you can have a work life balance as well excellent well on that note really insightful and terrific thank you very much holly for uh, joining in me today and for sharing those thoughts, because I, I hope our listeners find it as useful as I certainly found it. So until the next time, here's to your tomorrow and we'll be seeing you. Thanks, Holly. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Damn Good Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. It really does help us reach more ears. If you want to hear more from the Damn Good Podcast, you can listen to Serious One Now, which is available at our website at www.damngoodpensions.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you'd like us to put a question to one of our esteemed guests, please do not hesitate to get in touch. Until the next time, here's to your tomorrow. Tomorrow.